0: because we are going back into the book of acts new King James if you're following along which I highly recommend you do and one thing I'm realizing as I'm studying more and more the book of acts is that God never intended for us to live a dead dry boring stale lifeless Christian life some of us need a moment of clarity and a wake-up call and say wait a minute The life I'm living, the dull Christian life I'm living is not God's plan for my life. To go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday warming a chair, but never making impact for God's kingdom in the earth. The Christian life is that of adventure. It's that of excitement. It's that of passion, of power, of demonstration, of supernatural activity. Some of you watching this video right now, maybe it's on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, you don't even know why I'm screaming and shouting. You're like, why is he so excited? because the kingdom of God is exciting. It's not dry and dead like religious tradition that you grew up listening to your whole life. The kingdom of God is now, and the kingdom of God is exciting. And when you read the book of Acts, you're gonna see this, that the men in the book of Acts were led by the spirit. This was the Holy Ghost Steering their life and this is what I'm asking God as we study as we pray as we prophesy as we preach Is Lord I want you above anything else in life My prayer is Holy Spirit steer my life Holy Spirit guide my life every broadcast every stream every decision I make every video I upload I want the Holy Spirit to be the one leading it I don't want to be led by the flesh. I don't want to be led by what's popular I don't want to be led by what's trendy I don't want to be led by what everyone else is doing or saying I want to be led in my everyday life by the Holy spirit. So this notion that God doesn't speak is false. This notion that God isn't active is false. This notion that the gifts aren't for today. The power's not for today is false. We need a moment of clarity in the church and understand the book of acts was men led by the spirit. And that's available to us today. When we steer our own lives, we end up, come on, chat. Where are you at tonight? Broken, bored, and tired. Friend, when you read the book of Acts, there should be a holy jealousy in you, saying, I want this. Paul said, I went to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. You gotta realize this, there's more of God for you than what you currently have. So don't let pride hold you back from all that God has for you. Don't let ignorance hold you back. Don't let complacency and compromise and dead dry tradition religion that we love so much, hold this back from the calling. Let there be a holy jealousy. Look at someone that's on fire and say, I want that. I know that that person paid a price for their fire. See, there is a price for the fire of God. A lot of us, I want fire, I want power, I want passion, I want hunger for God, but we don't wanna pay the price in the secret place. And so there's a price to pay and there's more for you. There's 1,500 of you on here. Every single one of you watching, without exception, there's more for you in Jesus' name. The life that you're living is not all that there is. God says there's more. Religion says you're good where you're at. Just relax, dude. Why are you shouting? There's a vein popping out of your forehead and you're all sweaty and screaming and the mic's only like an inch away from your face, dude. Like you don't have to scream and shout, but understand that's religion. It goes, you're good. Just calm down. Stay where you're at. It doesn't take all that. But revival goes, no, there's more. There's deeper things for us. Now, you don't have to be passionate the way I am and eccentric the way I am. This is the way God designed me. But there has to be something about us that goes, wait a minute, I'm boring. And God isn't boring like me. Like when I look at my Christian life, it's no wonder my friends don't want to be Christian. It's no wonder my friends don't want to go to church. It's no wonder people don't want the power of God because I'm dead. My Christian life is a boring Sunday to Sunday church routine, and there's no supernatural in my life. Now, if, if you're in that position, don't be uh, disgruntled. Don't be condemned. This is the conviction of God, because preachers are afraid to preach this. They they preach such soft messages, because if I preach something wrong, people aren't going to tithe and people aren't going to give. Friend, listen to me tonight. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going rushing tonight. I'm taking my time. I have been to hundreds of churches and I've sat in green rooms with pastors, please just listen, that have churches of thousands that have told me in their office Isaiah, I want revival. I want deliverance. I want miracles. I want repentance. I want to preach on hell. But if I do, The rich people in my church won't give and they're gonna leave. The people won't tithe, they won't give. And we're not gonna be able to pay the building. We're not gonna be able to pay the staff that sits around watching YouTube all day. We're not gonna be able to do all the stuff that we're doing. So I can't preach these things. And friend, thank God that I'm not dependent on you guys to pay me so that I could preach a certain thing you want me to preach because you're not my supply. I know, I I hate to say this but God is my supply. For 11 years, I have not been on a salary. For 11 years, I have not had a set income from a church or a person or a place, but I've been led by God and I've been provided by God. God has provided for me through people, through things and through different ways. But my whole point is we have to stop being afraid of preaching the gospel. We have to stop being afraid of preaching the unadulterated word of God. We have to stop being afraid of preaching about the end times, preaching about holiness. And these men were unafraid. And so if you look at Acts 13, Acts 14, let me recap for those of you jumping on. Acts 13 prophets and teachers met up together and prayed and fasted and ended up sending out Paul and Barnabas Paul and Barnabas end up going to um different places they end up talking to a governor you guys heard me as I said in my last teaching bar Jesus the Jewish sorcerer came trying to stop the governor from hearing it then they go to Antioch persecution starts and they leave then they go to Iconium where a group lies about them they fled to Lystra and then a a crippled man gets healed and they're seeing the supernatural power of God Paul ends up Stone stoned left for dead the disciples get around him, and they go back into the city that Paul just got stoned at and then after all of their journeys in chapters 13 and 14 this is just a recap for those of you jumping on in all their journeys in chapter 13 and 14 here's what they do they go revisit churches they planted in towns and they go share the word of God and all that God did on their missionary journeys they talk to them about what did God do now the faith that they had that led them to preach and get stoned and get beat was not a watered down weak anemic passionless fireless prayerless plastic Christianity that a lot of us have in the West The Christianity they had was fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was out of the old covenant into the new covenant, the Jesus movement, the way of the Holy Spirit, the new remnant that God was rising up out of the, out of that upper room that walked in the supernatural power of God. Without the supernatural power of God, we will not survive the days to come. We will not survive the pressings and the pressure of the culture. And so God is releasing his supernatural power so that you will withstand in these last days. Like what kind of faith is it going to take to withstand a last day's pressure, a last day's generation? Now there's going to be some radical things happening because we've never seen church in these last days. Friend, the darkness that we're seeing, this is not the time. This is one of the reasons why. I'm not even arguing with anybody anymore about deliverance and about this and about, Oh, I don't know, brother, if we should do all that. And I don't know. And that's my religious voice. If you didn't know, and you're new, maybe, I don't know if we should cast up devils brother and heal the sick. And we don't, I don't know, man, you know, we just gotta be, we we gotta be careful and we gotta make sure that this friend, all that softness, all that soft watered down preaching, it's not going to last in the last days. Cause let me tell you when all hell breaks out on this earth, which is already happening and will continue to, All the people that are running for their lives and looking for answers, they're not gonna come to the tickle me Elmo, Jesus loves you, here's a sticker for showing up on Sunday. They're not gonna come to these soft pastors that spend more time on their hair than they do in prayer. They're gonna look for some people that are led by the Holy Ghost, that are walking in the power of God, that are demonstrating the gospel. So I'm sorry to tell you, but there's a new breed rising up and this remnant God is raising up. Come on, are you that type one in the chat? Are not concerned with what religion has to say we're not waiting on permission from the religious guard we are going after god violently from the days of john the baptist until now there's a violent advancing come on help me preach tonight there's a violent advancing in the kingdom of god so no we're not going to stop talking about the power of god about deliverance about miracles about salvation about holiness about Repentance. We're gonna keep preaching it till we have no voice because this is the power of God, Romans 1 16, unto salvation. We're not ashamed of this. We're not gonna apologize. We're not gonna shrink back because the pressures of the religious people saying, oh, you can't be in our club. We don't care. We don't wanna be in your club. Like, I I don't know if they get this, but we don't wanna be in their club. And so this is Paul. Paul is being persecuted by the religious people getting thrown out of the synagogues getting stoned but he knows this one thing that i've been mandated by god himself that on that damascus road it was god that called me so this is leading us in man we're going long tonight okay this is leading us in to Acts chapter 15 okay i'm gonna try to go this whole night without apologizing for going too long here we are doing communion at the end so if you're not ready for communion be ready because at the end we're doing communion but acts 15 if you're following along chapter 15 verse 1 says in certain men came down from judea and taught the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of moses you cannot be saved okay so here's the scene now there's men coming from judea teaching these new disciples that you have to be circumcised under the custom of Moses. And he let me just say this, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on this, I'm not gonna rant on this. I honestly didn't know how many people loved the law and living under the bondage of the law until I posted my video on tithing. And I saw a lot of positive comments, but there was a lot of comments saying we're still live, we still live by the law. We still live under this law and that law and that law. And I just didn't realize that new that believers these days thought that we still live under the law of Moses. And what you're gonna find out is. We don't live under the law of Moses. Now, some of you say, what about the Ten Commandments? The reason why we obey them, of course, God instituted them. But the reason why we live by them in the New Testament is because Jesus reaffirmed the Ten Commandments. He taught the Ten Commandments again. So that's why we live by that law. But we don't live under the Mosaic law of Leviticus and all the rules, all the regulations. The Bible says that that law held a veil over the people. And in fact, Paul said... Even to this day, when you read Moses and it's being taught, even today, it's putting a veil on people. He says there's a veil, but the new covenant lifts the veil. Come on, be excited about this. We don't live under the bondage of the law. We live under a new covenant and the Bible says is exceedingly greater than the old covenant. So we're not bound by the old covenant. So here, here's what we have. We have people and I'm just setting the scene here. That are living under the old covenant still and in their minds they're like okay we've been taught our whole lives you have to be circumcised physically we're talking here just so you guys catch the drift and these new believers these samaritans are getting saved and he's like you guys got to get circumcised i know you're 30 40 50 don't matter you got to get circumcised or you can't be saved so they're adding on to what the Bible tells us we gotta do to be saved, right? If you're not circumcised, you're not saved. That's in Acts 15.1. So, and and the reason was Jew, uh, Gentiles were now outnumbering the Jews in the church and no one in the leadership seemed to be raising questions. So these guys took it upon themselves to go and teach teach on the subject of surgery, which is what circumcision was. And so Paul and Barnabas's two-year mission brought tons of non-Jews into the church telling them without telling them they had to obey Jewish rules so when these people are getting saved you know again we're teaching tonight Paul and Barnabas were not telling them to get circumcised so now you have this massive group of new believers and these Jews are like y'all need to get circumcised and to these Hebrew Christians this was unacceptable and this is the two questions that frustrated them question one how can non-Jews be saved and considered the people of God if they don't observe the law of Moses Okay, they wanted them to live under the law of moses and how are you going to say you're a christian if you don't live under the law of moses sadly people still are like this today which i'm going to do a whole video on what it means to be out of the law because i never even thought to make a video until i started reading my comments i'm like people really think we're still under the law anyways that's another video that was the first question number two was how can christians who keep the traditions of Um, judaism break bread with unclean gentiles who ignore moses's rules about the right food the right way to prepare it and these people that aren't circumcised so like how am i who's lived by these laws for so long all of a sudden now you're talking the holy spirit's here and i have to break my tradition and now i have to eat with gentiles who are considered unclean so there's this real fight going on and this made some of the jewish believers uh upset and so they decided we're gonna head to Antioch to enlighten the Gentile believers there right this is what religious people do religious people think that they're God's gift to the church to correct everybody so it's like hey you're not supposed to be doing this you're not supposed to be doing miracles and casting out demons and flowing in the gifts of the spirit and preaching on this and pretty so we're gonna come bring correction to you so they come and they start teaching y'all got to get circumcised Acts 15, two through four. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, excuse me, describing the conversions of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported all the things that God had done with them okay so here we have this intense argument breaking out there's legalistic teachers saying you guys got to get circumcised and then Paul and Barnabas are saying no you don't they're in a a heavy dispute I'm just painting the picture of you're confused here so the guys these teachers say okay you should go to Jerusalem go talk to the elders the apostles the head honchos and see what they think about the matter now the religious guys are thinking they're going to agree with us right but when paul and barnabas get there they're welcome with open arms because of the salvations because of the miracles and this is what religion fails to realize oftentimes religion sits around stale while disciples go make disciples and do the work of god and so we actually have fruit you have doctrine and you have head knowledge but we have fruit So the fruit was going to speak volumes when paul and barnabas start telling them about the stories of conversions and along the way they're sharing with all these churches on their way to jerusalem and everyone's excited wait people are getting saved gentiles are being born again gentiles are being welcomed in into the family of god they are received in jerusalem as heroes okay they're not rejected by the they're received as heroes and the big question was what must someone do to be saved was it work or was it believe Did they need, I hope I'm explaining this well, type one if you're tracking, did they need the sign of circumcision or was believing merely enough? And so in his letter to Galatians, Paul states the principle behind his and Barnabas' contention that the Gentiles must be accepted into full fellowship of the church without being required to be circumcised and practice Old Testament ceremonies. So look at what Paul says in Galatians 2.16. Ready for this, okay? Some of you are gonna get mad at this, it's okay. It's in the Bible, it's a verse, I'm gonna quote it. Go ahead and get mad, go read your Bible says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So he goes, it's not works, y'all. It's not circumcision and praying enough and doing enough. It's not works, it's by faith. It's clear salvation is by faith, not by works. Our works are not how we gain salvation. Our works are a byproduct of receiving salvation. So I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. I want others to hear the gospel, to experience God, to know his life-changing power. I want others to be delivered from the demonic powers like I was. I want others to be physically healed like I've been. I want others to find joy and peace so my salvation, my encounter, my experience with God motivates me to work in his field. Remember, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The issue's not people don't want to hear the gospel. The issue is the church is lazy and we don't have laborers. The harvest is not the problem. The laborers are the problem. And there is a shortage of workers in the kingdom of God. We have no problem hearing the gospel going to church and visiting god once a week but we have a problem actually doing what the bible says to do and to labor for the kingdom james says faith without works is dead because you claim to have faith but you do nothing for god so let let me just say this go ahead and type this in the chat put it on your little journal laziness is not a fruit of the holy spirit okay laziness is not a fruit of the spirit it's a fruit of a demon the devil makes you lazy not god so that's just a little tip for you for free. That's just free 99. Laziness is not a spiritual fruit. Courage, passion, hunger for God, work ethic. Don't be lazy over and over. The Bible says, don't be lazy, don't be lazy. Work, 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 work. Work is not a cuss word, it's a command. Come on, help me tonight, Holy Spirit. We are called the work. And if you're lazy, say, Lord, deliver me from laziness. God, free me from this lazy Christian life where I check in my little part-time timestamp for an hour on Sunday and give you 1% of my week. And Lord, send me, thrust me, egg bolo, send forth labors into the harvest so I can do what you've called me to do. It's not laziness. Laziness is not a fruit of God. It's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that's where it comes down to. Works don't get us saved. Works are a byproduct of being saved. Acts 15, five through six. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Okay, so in case you didn't know, conflict is not a new matter in the church. This is AD 50, 50 years after Christ, and there is a conflict on doctrine. Now I want you to notice in Acts fifteen five, it says, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Very important to note that these were Pharisees that believed in Jesus. Not all Pharisees, that after Jesus died, we're just in rebellion to God. There were many that were these Pharisees, the sect of Pharisees, this group of Pharisees, they believed, okay? So these were believing Pharisees and they rose up saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to do this, you need to do that. And they're having this conflict with the disciples and the Pharisees are debating them, not only them, but there's also the apostles and the elders, the apostles being the members of the original 12, still in Jerusalem, plus Barnabas, plus Paul, Peter was at risk, but Peter came back to Jerusalem for this meeting, so it was an important meeting. Um, It is frozen. Okay, refresh, refresh. If it's frozen, refresh. I know it's kicking people. It's okay, we're gonna keep going here. Elders, so there's apostles there, which are the original 12 that were in Jerusalem. Paul, Barnabas, Peter came back for the meeting. There were elders who were what we consider today as pastors, these were overseers of the churches, and they were um, considered the elders, they were there. And then the Pharisees who were pro-Jesus Pharisees, okay? Very important um pro-Jesus Pharisees thank you guys for keeping me updated by the way and they were also there in the debate and the argument of the debate is should Gentiles be circumcised and obey the law of Moses okay interesting stuff acts 15 7 through 12 and when there had been much dispute Peter rose up and said men and brethren you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe so Peter's saying God chose me by my mouth to speak the gospel of the Gentiles. And then he says this. So God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our father nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same matter as they. Then all the mult- multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God worked them, uh, worked among them with the Gentiles. Okay, so here you have the elders, the apostles, and the Pharisees all together debating who's, what should we do? peter gets up and says look y'all god gave me the word i preached to the gentiles and they received the holy ghost so god was validating them by giving him the holy spirit And, and and let me just add And this is what peter goes peter goes let me just add this why are you putting the yoke of the law on their neck you couldn't fulfill the law and i couldn't fulfill the law so why are you putting that unhealthy burden on them it's only by grace and then paul and barnabas are like oh yeah by the way We're gonna tell you all the miracles that God did. All the people that got delivered, because we know deliverance is a miracle according to Jesus, and all the people that got healed. And guess what? They were Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas are like, if God doesn't approve of them and they're not circumcised, then why is God doing miracles among them? So the argument is strong, and here's the main points of the argument. God's the one that initiated the outreach to the Gentiles God verified his acceptance by the Holy Spirit being poured out God makes no distinction between Jew or Gentiles they're both pure based on their faith in Christ if you lay the burden of Moses on people you're questioning God's judgment and lifelong Jews who find the law impossible to live by are now trying to lay that on the Gentiles and here's the best point the law never saved anybody okay jews and gentiles are saved by grace this should all be enough for you guys to be like all right you're right we're not in the law anymore but i digress so here's the strong argument with evidence what's the evidence the miracles are the evidence okay so this is why we how we argue today we bring biblical arguments and we bring egg and we bring evidence and religious christians still struggle to believe like there's these guys that are we don't believe in miracles this you could get someone that was going to die of cancer a doctor's report a video picture everything and they could shake a religious person's hand that doesn't believe healing is for today and that person will still go oh I still don't believe healing is for today like what not only do we have arguments with the scripture but we have evidence so they presented a very valid powerful argument but again it's still sometimes hard to persuade religious people. Okay. Acts 15, 13. And after they'd become silent, James answered saying men and brethren, listen to me, James being the biological brother of Jesus who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And he was a highly respected elder in the church in Jerusalem. That's James. Okay. Acts 15, 14 through 18. This is James speaking. Simon has declared how good Simon has declared how God at the first vi- at first visit the Gentiles to take them out a people for his name and with his words of the prophets agree just as it's written after this I'll return and will rebuild the Tabernacle of David which was fallen down I will rebuild its ruins and I'll set it up so that the rest of mankind may see the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things know to God from eternity are all his works. Okay, so James is saying, God is including the Gentile people for the glory of his name. And he gives this prophetic word from Amos saying, God's plan was always to redeem the Gentiles, not to force them to become Jews. So James declares a prophecy from Amos saying, listen, from the beginning of time, God's plan was to also save Gentiles. It just wasn't the right time yet, but this was God's plan. And God's not gonna force them to become Jews. Acts 15, 19 through 21, we're doing good. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them, do it abstain. So we're not going to trouble them to be circumcised, but we're going to tell them to abstain things polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood for Moses has had throughout many generations. Those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues, every Sabbath. So he goes, it's very interesting here. The turn in verse 19, because he says, We're not gonna tell them to be circumcised, but we're gonna tell them to guard themselves against sexual sin. And then the other issue was not to eat blood, which blood was eating, blood was prohibited. And the Bible in the Old Testament makes it clear, this was life blood. This was not blood that comes out of meat when you cook it, which I know it sounds gross, but that's when you cook a steak, there's blood that comes out. That's not the blood he talks about. He's talking about life blood. So he's saying, we're gonna tell them, sustain from sexual immorality, that's important. Okay. Don't eat food uh, given by idols or presented to idols and don't eat things strangled or eat lifeblood. So that's a whole nother topic, but that's exactly what lifeblood was back in the old Testament. Okay. Acts 15, 22 through 35. And I'm not going to read all this to- verse 22 through 35. I'm not going to read it because basically it's them agreeing to this saying, okay, you're right. And sending them in back to Antioch with the letter saying Gentiles are free from Jewish laws and customs. This was major because up until this time, we're in Acts 15, 50 AD, they didn't really know should the Gentiles live by the Jewish laws. Now, because of this letter uh, approved by the apostles, the elders, and the Pharisees, you don't have to live by these Jewish customs any longer. So these four men are dispatched with letters from Jerusalem. Two Acts, um, Acts 15:26 identifies Paul and Barnabas as the men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus, and Judas and Barsabbas, and si- Judas Barsabbas and Silas, who are two members of Jerusalem's leadership team. Both were prophets, and they were there to authenticate and explain the letter. Okay, so I know it sounds kind of confusing. Paul and Barnabas them two and then Judas Barsabbas and Silas so Judas and Silas Paul and Barnabas four of them are going to go back and report to the churches Judas Barsabbas and Silas are going to explain the letter and basically say look all of you guys stop teaching to be circumcised that you guys are free from this and also to tell the Gentiles to say no to sexual sin food sacrifice to idols and eating lifeblood acts 15. Okay. So that was the whole summary. If you read through that, I won't just read it because it's, it's long. That's what's happening. They're sending them with the letter saying, okay, we approve it. Acts 15, 36. So now I want you guys to jump to verse 36 through 39. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us know. Now go back and visit our brotherhood in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with him. John called Mark. Okay. Stay here. Stay with me. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them. The one who departed with, uh, departed from them and Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Now this is a very, very strategic and sad moment in history. Paul and Barnabas, who you guys have been with me. If you've been in the study, have been together on this missionary journey, all this time traveling together. And here they are, in Acts 15:36 having an argument a dispute over John Mark going with them who had parted ways with them before and now they're going to dispute this okay and this is sad because they're, Paul and Barnabas are gonna part ways and they're never gonna work together again. They're never gonna work side by side as missionaries again. It's, just, it's honestly a sad moment, it really is. Luke, who's the writer of Acts, gives us details onto why they may have had this dispute. Um, they agree to revisit churches that they planted together and Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, which was his younger cousin. Paul didn't wanna bring him because he jumped ship in Acts 13, 13. That first journey they went on, they jumped sh- he jumped ship. So Paul's going like, look, this guy jumped ship last time, so we're not gonna bring him this time. And there's this sharp argument. In fact, the Bible says it was a contention that became so sharp they parted. And the original word was an angry dispute or what we'd call today, a fight. That's literally what it was. The actual Greek was they got in a heated argument, a heated fight, and they're gonna part ways now. And Barnabas is basically like, come on, Paul, give him another chance. And Paul is saying, look, Mark has already blown his chance. He's already left us shorthanded and and he's a quitter. I mean, Paul didn't say that, but that's what Paul is implying by reminding him that that, um, John Mark had left us. Now, sadly, this happens all the time in church. It's not God's plan. Was this God's plan? No, but it's life. So what do we do when conflict like this happens in church? We move on, okay? They don't slander each other. You don't need to gossip. You don't need to backbite. You go your way and you let them go their way. And this is all of you that are leaving your church, which if your church is dead, you should leave it. I would never want to raise my kids in a graveyard. Some of you are at a dead church and you think something's gonna happen. You need to leave and go find a church that's alive. So when you part ways, you don't need to slander. You don't need to backbite, you don't need to gossip. Okay, you have a disagreement. I don't agree with this or that. I'm gonna go my way, you go your way. I'll do my mission for God, you do your mission for God. They're not the devil because they're doing what they're doing and you're not the devil for leaving. So we need to learn how to have a healthy uh, church leaving. We're not a gang, okay? You don't have to leave your church and then never talk to them again. And sadly, that's usually what happens, but this is how we're supposed to deal with conflict. Acts 15, 39, okay, watch this here. Through 41 and so barnabas took mark and sailed to cyprus and paul chose silas and departed being commended by the brethren the, to the grace of god and he went through syria and um cilicia strengthening the churches so paul and barnabas they part ways right here and paul goes with silas now and barnabas goes with john mark so the question is and type it in the chat if you know the answer and i'll give you a second to think about it who was right in the argument was paul right or was barnabas right There's there's actually a definitive answer. Type in the chat who is right. Was Paul right about him? Was Paul right about John Mark? Is he a quitter? Is he no good? Do we just leave him? Or was Barnabas right? Saying, look, Barnabas, I'm the son of encouragement, y'all. We're gonna bring him with us. We're gonna take him with us and he's gonna do something for God. I I believe in him. He's my younger cousin. Let's bring him along. Who is right? Okay, I'm gonna wait for the chat to catch up here. This is a pop quiz. Um, Type it out in the chat. Okay, a lot of you are saying Paul, a lot of you are saying Barnabas. Okay, history tells us who is right. Barnabas was right here's why Barnabas was right about John Mark early church tradition says Mark ministered with Peter and wrote the New Testament gospel his gospel was the first one written and considered the oldest gospel so here John Mark who's going to be the first one to write the Gospels which was the book of Mark and according to 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 Paul changed his mind about Mark watch this Paul says this get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry So we should be very careful not to give up on people so soon because God may have something in mind. And I'm guilty of this thinking like, oh no, they're quitter. They're not. God can't this, or they made a mistake or whatever. They bailed on me, but we got to keep having faith, encouraging people because you never know what God had planned for them. So Paul was wrong in this, in this circumstance, in the fact of leaving Mark, Barnabas, trusted in Mark poured into Mark and Mark would become a powerful man of God. And then later on at the end of Paul's life, second Timothy being Paul's last letter, actually some of his last chapters ever right here, Paul's not basing on his deathbed letter. They call it. And Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you. He's been helpful to me in my ministry. So this is like Paul at the end of his life. Like, all right, look, Mark has been helpful, but it was a sad break between Paul and Barnabas. So if you ever wondered how did Paul and Barnabas, stop working together this is why okay so let's chapter recap I don't know if you guys like these chapter recaps or not let me know in the comments so the Gentile Jewish fellowship at Antioch disputed with teachers and insisted the Gentiles must be circumcised Paul and Barnabas debated them and the church ended up sending them to Jerusalem to settle the matter the First World Church Council met to discuss the issue. Christian Pharisees insisted that they are circumcised under the law of Moses, but Peter, Paul, and Barnabas said how God is treating now Gentiles just like Jews, okay? James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, proposed freeing the Gentiles from the law, and they ended up writing a letter. He basically said, You guys should avoid sexual sin and lifeblood and that thing. These diet, certain dietary things. But other than that, they're free from the law. They don't have to be circumcised. Two local leaders, Judas and Silas, were sent to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to explain the letter and to... Um, you know, just verify the letter. And then Paul and Barnabas make plans to go visit all the churches they planted, but get in a heated argument whether John Mark should go along. The disagreement became so intense, they split up. That is Acts chapter 15. Okay, I'm glad you guys like the recaps. I don't, I don't know, sometimes I don't do them, but I'm like, I think they help to keep tracking. Okay, we are in Acts chapter 16, we're doing good. We're gonna get through another chapter tonight. Acts 16, one. Then he, Paul, came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple is there named Timothy, The son of a certain jewish woman who believed but his father was greek so paul is now with silas his new partner and he comes to lystra where he was five years earlier to the same place he was stoned and thrown out of the city this is five years after paul stone he comes to the city Timothy he meets who would become a lifelong friend and one of Paul's most trusted co-laborers. Okay Timothy's mom was a Jewish Christian her his father was a Greek and his name means God honoring and he's a, gonna be a Lifelong student of the Bible his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois were spiritual role models to him Acts 16 2 through 3 Now this is where it gets interesting He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go go on with them. And he took him. Now listen to this. I know it's, I'm going to explain this the best I can. This is what it says in Acts 16, 2 through 3. And Paul took Timothy and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew his father was Greek. Okay. This is shocking. We have some breaking news, breaking service announcement. Paul what are you doing dude you just got done like just think about this i don't know if you guys ever caught this paul just got done arguing debating that the gentiles don't have to be circumcised like we don't need to circumcise anymore and now paul finds timothy and goes i want you to be with me let's get you circumcised and this is why because of the jews that were in that region and because all the jews knew his father was a greek so timothy is mixed he's jewish and greek that's gentile so this is shocking why are you doing this paul it, it seems to be like paul was doing a 180 we don't all fully know why i could give you some ways of what i've studied and what i believe many people say paul did this in order to really reach the jews who believe that you had to be circumcised so basically paul is willing to to preach to these jews he's willing to accommodate on a non-essential doctrine or a non-essential thing to reach them so paul's like look it's not going to hurt. Well, I shouldn't say that because it is going to hurt to get circumcised. But Paul's like, it's again, I can't say that because it does hurt. But Paul's like, all right, let's just get you circumcised just so they're going to listen to you. But the question is, why would Timothy submit to this? Now, Paul didn't force him to do it. Timothy submitted. One writer says it was to show the Jews that you don't have to stop being Jewish just because you follow Christ and he wanted to gain credibility with the Jewish people to reach them at the end of the day this is my consensus the end of the day only God knows the exact reasons we could all jump to conclusions but the passage makes it seem like Paul was not being a hypocrite necessarily which in in essence of the definition you could call Paul a hypocrite in this sense because he just got on debating. You don't have to be circumcised. Now he circumcised Timothy. But the other sense is Paul says, become all things to all men that you may win them to the Lord. So Paul is saying, look, if this is why they will listen to you. Now I have done small things in my life to get people to listen to me. And those things would, are not things I've done to sin or to compromise, but actually the opposite. Okay. So for example, one of the reasons why I have zero tattoos even though I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to say this, okay? I got to be careful what I say here cuz there's a lot of people listening. I have no tattoos. Here's why. Not because I have a certain passage in the New Testament that says you can't have tattoos. I have no tattoos because I know that if I'm preaching on a stage of let's just say 2000 people and there's somebody that's older or younger that doesn't believe Christians are allowed to have tattoos. They believe it's a sin, which I don't I can't tell you either or cuz I don't have a New Testament reference for it but let's just say and they look at Isaiah preaching on the stage and he has a sleeve of tattoos and I'm preaching right that I got after I became a Christian right you got him before obviously but I got him after and in their mind they go oh I'm not listening to this preacher I want nothing to do with this guy because he has tattoos and that's worldly and that's a sin now what they're saying might not be true but i know that because of my tattoos they won't listen to me preach so i won't get tattoos in order to become all things to all men and to reach them so the things that i've done in life are not because i'm you know doing things wrong to try to reach people it's actually doing things and i'm not trying to be arrogant or proud when i say this but i'm actually doing things extra right so that people will hear me preach let me give you another example and this is funny it's weird i had a What was it called? Not a reverse Mohawk, but it had like a faux hawk for like six or seven years, right? My hair did this and then it went back like that and faded down to like a Mohawk in the back, right? One day I was sitting in a church, and there was a bunch of old people sitting behind me, well-seasoned veterans in the faith, and I could feel them judging me, okay? Because here I am, this young guy. I'm already young. I'm already loud. I'm already Italian. I already have veins popping out. I'm already wild, running around the stage. And here you have this young guy coming into their church as a guest speaker with a mohawk in the house of God, right? So I felt the, the judgment, and in my mind I thought, okay, If getting and this is just me again you call me religious it's okay I don't care but I thought in my mind if I just got my hair a regular fade right military style I know that these older people would listen to me more if I did that so to be all things to all men even though it's not a sin to have a mohawk I just went ahead and did it so guys here's my point there's areas of our life that we do certain things to accommodate certain people and in this case Paul (laughs) Paul was circum. Now, this is a big difference between getting your hair cut and getting something else cut, okay? But Paul was willing to get him circumcised. Um, that's another reason why I got a Bible college degree. Not because I'm like, oh, I need to have a theology degree because I know there's people that will not listen to me if I don't have a degree, but then now they know I do, they'll listen. So it's just to be able to reach people. Now, I'm not saying you go to a bar and drink with people because you wanna reach them. Go to the club and, and uh, drink with people because you wanna reach them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Paul was doing this to reach these Jews. And again, you could ask Paul when you get to heaven, what you think about this, but that's what happened. Okay. Acts 16, four through 10. And as they went through cities, they delivered them to the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, when they had gone through, um, and again, if I'm pronouncing these wrong and you're a Greek scholar, just forgive me. Okay. We're going to, you'll, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. As they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Verse 7 of Acts 16. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to, I can't say any of these, Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So it's like they're trying to go preach, but the Holy Spirit's not letting them. And verse 8: So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, um, Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he saw the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord has called him to preach the gospel there. So here you have, again, are you guys noticing the theme? I don't know how to pronounce them. all right? Get over it. Here's the theme. The theme is they're led by the Holy Spirit and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia. They're forbidden to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit's not letting them go to certain places. Now, how did the Holy Spirit stop them? Was it sickness? Was it a word of prophecy? Was it an uneasy feeling? Was it plans failing? We don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped them in the natural, in a, in a practical sense. But we know that God's Spirit was guiding them. So, guys, here's my word. Reading this, if a door closes for you. Take it as the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that or don't go there. There's been moments where I've been heartbroken, cried, saying, God, why didn't this work out? Is there something wrong with me? Why didn't that door open? But then later on realizing it was the Holy Spirit prohibiting me from preaching in certain places. I've had churches. Okay, I gotta be careful here because there's a lot of people watching, but let's just say I've had situations not work out where I went to certain churches or doors closed at certain churches. Later finding out it wasn't me that was wrong, It was them that was wrong and the Holy Spirit was actually forbidding me to preach there for reasons like I've had ministers that I wanted to connect with the Holy Spirit forbidden me and then a month two, three months later that comes out they fell from sexual immorality or something or they're doing something crazy and then I'm like wow in the moment I felt heartbroken because I wasn't able to make that connection this is years ago but in the in the spiritual sense the Holy Spirit was prohibiting me or not letting me preach there or go there so this is what happened to Paul God was closing the doors to Asia not letting him go Now, all of a sudden, Paul has a vision in the night of a man of Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And Paul concludes that the Lord is calling him there. Now, if you said today you had a vision at night and God told you to go preach here or do this, religious people would call you crazy. They would say, God doesn't speak in dreams or visions. You're just being too spiritual. But this is being led by the spirit. People who are cynical of visions, dreams supernatural miracles deliverance don't see them let me say that again if you're cynical towards miracles deliverance dreams visions you're not going to see them or have them god does not move where people tolerate him reject him or deny him he moves where people celebrate him accept him and worship him so for example people say i don't believe in tongues it's not real if it was real god would give it to me But maybe your unbelief is the reason God doesn't give it to you. Maybe you don't see demons cast out because you don't believe in it. People say, Isaiah, I'm scared of deliverance happening in my church. I'm scared of seeing it. And my response is, don't worry. You won't see it. If you're scared of it, if you don't want to see it, if you're afraid of the supernatural, don't stress. Don't worry because you won't see it. It's not see it to believe it. It's believe it to see it. That's why Paul says desire spiritual gifts, okay? Something very interesting happens in Acts 1610 because the wording changes from we, which would be Paul and Silas to us, okay? So the the language has been we, which is Paul and Silas. How many know we means me and one other person? But now in Acts 1610, the language changes to us. So who's the third person joining Paul and Silas? It's Luke, okay? Luke would now be giving an eyewitness account for most of the rest of the book of Acts. So that subtle change in Acts 16.10 from we to us that most people don't catch, that's actually Luke joining in on the missionary journeys. And now Luke is writing, who's the writer of Acts, if you didn't know, the Dr. Luke. He's not just writing from stories he's heard or translated from this person to that person. He's giving firsthand accounts. So that's a little tidbit there, free nugget for you. Acts 16 through 15. We're still doing communion tonight. Don't worry. It says, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a, um, Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, Samothrace. I don't know how to say that. And the next day came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which was the foremost city of the part of Macedonia. So Paul gets a vision. There's a man from Macedonia saying, Paul, come over here, please. And Paul takes that vision as God speaking. So the part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Okay. Acts 16, 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who we, who we met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, they begged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So here's this woman highly successful god opens up her heart to listen to paul and like cornelius her and her whole household get baptized and this is what we need to believe when we're sharing with people lord open up their heart this shows us that god has the power to supernaturally open up someone's heart to hear the gospel and this is what i want you to know god can open up anyone's heart at any time it could be the roughest the toughest the most unbelieving far off person the most anti-God person you've ever met and all it takes is God opening up their heart and this is what we should be praying over our kids Lord open their heart this is what we should be praying over our friends God open their heart this is what we should be praying over our families God open their heart God has the power to open hearts how many know the night I got saved God opened up my hard hearted heart When you got saved, God opened up your heart. So our God is able to open up the hearts of even the most stubborn. I love this. God opens up her heart and she hears the gospel. Her whole house gets baptized. Okay. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer? Notice the the line uh, of the timeline. Now it happened. What happened? I'm going to show you. Acts 16, 16. As we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Hence the title of the video, Fortune Dollar Gets Delivered. Now, the Greek word here for divination is Python. The spirit of Python in Greek mythology was a serpent or a dragon that guarded the oracle Delphi and was slain by Apollo, which back then oracles were humans that gods would speak through so this was a serpent or dragon it would it would guard delphi the oracle and apollo slayed it this was the greek mythology back then of what they thought python was now that it was uh now the greek lexicon says it's the spirit of python but it wasn't just um the girl coming against paul it's a real spirit coming against the move of god now we know serpents and snakes are mentioned over 80 times in the bible so there's something to be noted here about the deceptive nature of demons and satan's kingdom and what's crazy to think is this snake spirit attacks paul where was while he's going to prayer and him and silas end up naked and beat with rods after they or because they delivered this girl so this spirit in this girl comes against paul and silas and paul and silas end up naked and beat with rods and remember if you go back to genesis in the garden the snake came to Adam and Eve to separate them from God and they end up naked and vulnerable. So this is the not I wouldn't say it's the same spirit from the garden, but this is that snake spirit. It's that lying spirit that comes against the things of God. And this spirit is still working today. The Bible says we have power over serpents, scorpions, snakes. Some people say, oh, uh, that's literal. No, it's spiritual. When you think of a snake or a serpent spiritually or a dragon, this represents a demonic spirit, a demonic power. When Jesus said you have power to trample on serpents and scorpions, he was talking about demonic spirits and demonic powers. So the translation was, the translation was Python. Leviathan was described as a twisted serpent. Okay. Now divination is the means of gaining information using witchcraft. So fortune telling would be considered divination. And the actual definition of divination is the practice of seeking knowledge of the future by by the, or the unknown by supernatural means. So what fortune tellers do is they use a spirit of divination, AKA a demon of divination that speaks to other demons that know certain things to bring back information to them so they can give it to their client or the one whose fortune they're reading. When a fortune teller or a medium says, Oh, your dead relative is saying this to you they want to know uh, want you to know this or this is what they know about you that is not your uncle chris that's not your grandma betty that is a familiar spirit and a demon impersonating them okay when you go to mediums or psychics you're opening yourself up to demons this is what they do they use spirits of divination demons of divination to gain information Now, they might not believe it's the devil using them to further his kingdom, but fortune tellers are demonic, mediums are demonic, tarot cards are demonic, psychics are demonic, angel boards and Ouija boards are demonic, horoscopes, fortunes, these are demonic. This is divination. And when you participate in these things, you're giving demons inward inroads in. You're inviting them in and trust me, it's easier to get demons in than it is to get demons out. And you might say, it's all fun and games. It's all fun and games till you have a demon you can't get rid of. So just because you went to the mall and had your cards read and the medium came, there's a spiritual transaction happening when you go to psychics, fortune tellers, and mediums. And here's the activity, come on in devil, come on in. When you go to them, you're literally shouting to all the spirits, welcome in. It is an open house. Feel free to ravage my life and do whatever you want. You're giving them an inroad. And then you could come to me and say, I don't know how I got a demon. I do. It was because you were going to fortune tellers and psychics divination is the means to gain information in the supernatural realm using demons. So what is a ghost? Well, ghost means spirit. And the, the fortune teller you went to or the medium you went to or the psychic that said, oh, your mom, you know, she said this and you say, it had to be my mom. How do they know so much about my mom? It's a familiar spirit. It's a demon impersonating your mom that knows about your mom because the demon was there when your mom was doing what it said that was happening. People are like, I don't know how they knew my past. How do those demons know my past? Because they were there. The demons were there at the party. They were there at the club. They were there at the rave when you were strung out, when you were on drugs, when you were stealing and doing all your dirty stuff, the demons were there. They were the ones influencing you to do it. So it's no wonder they know people like, I don't know how they know it's because they're there camping out at the party with you. Trust me, all these things that you were doing in the world. These were things that were opening doors inroads to demons. I know the religious people hate it. It's okay. We like to annoy them here anyways. Now the girl comes against them when they're going to prayer. So the devil's not threatened by prayerless Christians. Okay. That's a whole sermon there that we we don't have time to go into. Acts 16, 17 through 18, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, who's us? Paul, Silas and Luke and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit. Okay, are you all tracking? Paul wasn't telling the girl this. He said to the spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, the important thing to know is not everyone following you is for you. She follows Paul and saying something that's true, but is causing confusion among the brethren and just being annoying, honestly. And these people could be around you saying the right things, but they're causing confusion in the body of Christ and realize they're just pawns in Satan's game. She was a slave, the Bible says. She was being used by her masters to, to bring money into their pockets. Okay. As a fortune teller. And this is what Satan does. He uses, he abuses, and you end up being the one that loses. Okay. He ends up throwing you out on the side of the road, doesn't care about you. And just when he's done with you, he throws you out and he does this to celebrities. Do you know how many celebrities, have died how many celebrities that have decided to change their life or do something different end up randomly dying in their hotel randomly overdosing randomly getting having a heart attack let me just propose to you that it's not always random but the devil's killing these people when they're when the devil's done with them when they're too washed up for the devil the devil kills them that's why you see a lot of these rappers and celebrities that are super demonic openly demonic randomly die because the devil says they know too much I'm done with them and the devil kills them and this is not speculation this is not conspiracy this is what the devil does he steals kills and destroys and the moment he's done with you he throws you out and leaves you for dead if Satan cared about you then why are you constantly depressed If Satan cared about you, why are you constantly tired? Why are you constantly heartbroken? Why are you constantly tormented by mental sickness and nightmares and these demonic spirits? Satan is a liar. He's a control freak. He's a manipulator. He's a tormentor. He's the prince of demons. News flash. He has nothing good for you. Stop letting him abuse you. All he wants to do is steal, kill and destroy. And Christ says, I've come to bring life. And life more abundantly yet you keep dating the devil and rejecting god break up with the devil now today is the day to break up with the devil he's a liar he's a loser he's lost before and friend there's a real jewish man coming back and the devil's going to lose again because out of the mouth at the out of the word of his mouth the devil's going to lose in Jesus name. So if you're letting the devil take advantage of you, uh, you're, you're playing on the wrong side because the devil is a loser. He will always be a loser and he's going to lose again, again, and again. And there's coming a day where the devil will be in hell for all of eternity this idea that the devil's in hell running it on the throne that's all the world created that's a lie the devil does not run hell the devil doesn't own hell the devil doesn't throw people into hell the devil rules in the air the bible says he's the prince of the power of the air god is the one that created hell god is the one that throws people into hell god the one is the one that designed hell for people that don't want god and reject god so stop giving the devil all this power letting him rule you letting him govern you break out today in jesus name now paul in Jesus name, commands the demon to leave her. The actual Greek translation of this is the demon came out within the hour. So it wasn't an instant immediate. It was within the hour or that very hour, which means in the span of an hour, the demon came out. We don't know if it took the demon three minutes to come out, five minutes to come out, 30 minutes, 50 minutes. We don't know. We just know the demon came out within the hour. I've also heard arguments. She was a believer, okay? And I'm not gonna go into that, but this is what people have said. She's, she was a believer because what unbeliever spends days listening to preaching and saying, that's the truth, but doesn't respond. Okay. So I don't know that she was a believer because the Bible doesn't say, but I've heard a preacher say that argument. I thought, okay, well, that is actually plausible, it's not out of the realm of possibility because do you know an unbeliever that follows around ministers for days, going to every service, listening to them preach and saying, that's the truth. That's the truth. He's preaching truth. I don't know any atheist or any unbeliever that's ever done that, but Paul is annoyed nonetheless and speaks to the spirit. Now I don't think Paul was necessarily annoyed with the girl. I think Paul was annoyed with the spirit that was using the girl and was tormenting the girl. I've always thought like Paul cast the demon out of her because she was declaring that they were the men of God and the truth. But then it's like, okay, maybe Paul was annoyed that she was causing disrupt disruptions in the services and this demon was taking advantage of her. Paul was annoyed that she was in bondage. Paul was annoyed at the spirit and then Paul cast it out of her. So we got to be careful that we don't frame these as one way things of like Paul was just annoyed at the girl. I really believe that Paul's annoyance was with the spirit that was taking advantage of her. And not only that, he's annoyed by the, the girl's masters who are using her. Now, we know demons respond to words. Don't go into that. I have 60 plus hours of teachings on deliverance if you want to check my channel. Acts 16, 19 through 24. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace of the authorities. And they brought to them the magistrates and said, these men being Jews are causing trouble in our city. And they teach custom, which are not customs, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up against them the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods and when they had laid many stripes on them they threw them into prison commanding the jailer to keep them securely having received such a charge but put them in the inner prison fasten their feet and stop in the stocks okay so riot starts they lie about Paul and Silas they get beat with rods and and Luke get stripped naked get locked up thrown in the prison presumably they're going to end up getting killed in prison because it's usually not beat you with rods and this, and then they just let you go. It's usually, they're going to kill you. Okay. And the reason being is the owner of the slave girl are mad because now we don't have money because we're using her spirit and her demonic power to get money, to tell fortunes. Now we're, we are going out of business here Acts 16, 25 through 26, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. So Paul and Silas decided we're going to pray and praise God. And the Bible says all the prisoners were listening, whether you like it or not, people who are not Christian, people who are in bondage are listening to you. They're looking out the way that you live. They're listening to the way that you pray. They're looking at the way you cheat your wife. You're looking at the way you talk to your kids. They're watching what you post. So believe me, people in bondage are listening to you. They're listening to the way that you live. It matters how you live. It matters that you're not a hypocrite. And suddenly an earthquake happened. Literally, they praised their way into breakthrough. Your prayers and your Worship and your praise have untold power in the supernatural realm. Notice not only did they get free, but people all around them got free. Let me, let me word it like this. For those of you that have ears in the spirit, not only did they get free and delivered, but those that didn't even deserve freedom got freedom. So sometimes when we praise, I'm not just praising for me. I'm not just shouting for me. I'm not just worshiping for me. I'm not just crying out to God for me, but there's people around me that don't even deserve breakthrough that God says, I'm gonna break everybody out. I'm gonna break your kids out. I'm gonna break your wife out. I'm gonna break your husband out. I'm gonna break your neighbor out. There is going to be a breakout and there is going to be a breakthrough because you decided to worship and you decided to praise. Can we get a hallelujah in the chat tonight? Somebody right now needs to break out in praise. Somebody right now needs to break out with a shout. Somebody right now needs to break out in worship and say my prayers do have power and in this case, A literal earthquake break out and everybody was set free. I I don't know about you, but I want to see everybody get delivered. I want to see everybody set free. I want to see everybody around me get healed, delivered, saved, supernatural power be released in Jesus name. Acts 16, 27 through 28. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. For we are all here so the jailer knew if the prisoners left he would receive the punishment for them or the punishment that they were to have received which was death and paul in the nick time says don't don't kill yourself we're all here act 16 29 through 30. then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before paul and silas and he brought them out and said sir what must i do to be saved and here's their response act 16 31 through 32. They, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So he brings them out. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas say, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And then they speak the word of the Lord to him in his house. Now, you might say, well, brother, wasn't this the sinner's prayer? No, because here's the thing. The jailer, just think about this. The jailer knows these men are in prison for being Christian. If I convert to being a Christian, it's likely I will be persecuted. So did Paul and Silas need to give him a price and say, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost everything. It's a narrow road. He didn't need to do none of that because the guy knows like I'm in charge of you. You're in prison. You're going to be killed for your faith. So if I convert, there's a likely chance I'll be in prison as well. So you already knew the price. Paul says you need to believe and you're going to be saved. Some people might say, well, he led him this his prayer. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he told them, believe in Jesus Christ and believe on Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your household. And then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house, which it's likely he spoke, repent, because we know that's what Acts 2.38, the model was when they asked how could we be saved? We know repentance the book of acts says God commands all men everywhere to repent. This was the message they were preaching was repentance. Again, it doesn't say exactly what he spoke, the word of the Lord, but it's likely that he gave him the gospel in the, in the uh, sense of you need to repent of your sins. Okay. Acts 16, 33 through 34. Then he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Um, we're going to see this pattern over and over. Hear the word, get baptized, they have fellowship and they rejoice. Praise the Lord. Acts 16, 35. And when it was day, the magistrate, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. Verse 36. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent letters to tell you you're released. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said, they have beaten us openly uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now they want to put us out secretly. No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. So Paul's like, I ain't leaving this prison till they personally come apologize to me and walk me out in public because they're not going to secretly let us out for all that they did. Verse 38, and the officers told those words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So verse 40, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and they had departed. So Paul said, nope, I want a personal um, convoy to come get me because you guys beat me for no reason. You stripped me naked for no reason. You threw me in here for no reason. So they find out Paul's a Roman citizen. They come out and they bring them out. And that is acts 15 and 16. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. An hour and five minutes. Perfect timing. We did two chapters. Now we're going to do communion. Okay. So if you've never done communion, beautiful tonight will be your first night doing communion. I have my juice here. Okay, there it is in the cup and I have my cracker here and this is not there's my cracker or bread This is not rotten. I had rotten juice one time and I just I didn't want to ruin the moment So I just swallowed it and it was absolutely old rotten Um cranberry juice. It was terrible and I felt sick after but I have not rotten here. Okay, and I have a cracker here so Get your cracker out get your juice out or whatever you have that you can use for communion uh, wait, he's eating. We're going to do communion, Gabriel, okay? Gabriel's like, wait, are you having lunch break here? No, we're not doing lunch break. We're doing communion. If you don't know what communion is, let me explain. I'm going to keep it very basic for you. Communion is a symbolic way. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiasaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.